The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Sorry, not only does it seem to be the hardest word, it is um, apparently the thing that most of us do worst, whether it's celebrities, whether it's governments, whether it's people in the public eye, whether it's people in relationships. We are horrendously bad at apologising. So much so that there's a website called Sorry Watch, which does nothing but monitor public apologies and dissect why they are so bad, run by uh, two people called Marjorie Ingle and Susan McCarthy. And Marjorie Ingle and Susan McCarthy, not only do they run Sorry Watch, the website, but they have combined and distilled their learnings from those years of analysis into a book called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. And if you have ever found yourself in a position where either you want to make a good apology or you want to explain to somebody scientifically and in detail what was wrong with the apology they just gave you, well, this is the book for you. And one of the authors, Marjorie Engel, is with us this morning. Morning, Marjorie. Hey, how are you, Anton? I am very good. Can we start with an apology of this week? Because I want to get your views on it. This week saw one of the more interesting public apologies because Elon Musk, him who owns Twitter, went public uh, to criticise an employee who had gotten in touch to find out whether or not he was fired. And in his tweet, Elon Musk said, the reality is that this guy, who is independently wealthy, did no actual work, claimed his as his excuse that he had a disability that prevented him from typing, yet was simultaneously tweeting up a storm. Can't say I have a lot of respect for that. And he went on to say that he is the worst. Now, the man in question is uh, a man by the name of Halley Thorleifsson. And Halley Thorleifsson is an Icelandic man. His mother died when he was 11. His mother was killed in a car crash. He was born with muscular dystrophy, which means he, he finds it very difficult to use his hands and can only type for a short period of time. Built up a company, which he sold to Twitter for hundreds of millions, and he opted to take the payment as salary so that he could pay more tax in Iceland. And now, while working in Twitter, he's also dedicated himself to building thousands of wheelchair ramps for free around Iceland. Elon subsequently put out the following tweet. I would like to apologise to Halley for my misunderstanding of his situation. It was based on things I was told that were untrue or, in some cases, true, but not meaningful. He is considering remaining at Twitter. How does that rate as an apology, Marjorie? I don't know it, what's lower than the basement, the subflooring, the thousands of pounds of soil underneath that. But it's somehow below that one. Break down why, because you're very good at explaining what are the comp- the component parts that make for a bad apology. What did Elon get wrong? Um, we have, uh, Susan and I have a six and a half point sort of plan for how you do a good apology. And Elon missed, uh, missed on every single one of those things. Uh, the first thing is to say you're sorry or I apologize. The second is to name exactly what you did. The third is to say that you understand why what you did was bad. The fourth is not to make excuses. The fifth is to say what you're doing to make sure that this thing won't happen again. The sixth is to make an offer of repair. And the sixth and a half thing is to listen. Did Elon do any of those things? I do not think he did. And, you know, for also just as a point of fact, for someone to use he's independently wealthy as an insult, uh, for Elon Musk to do that is pretty rich. But hang on a minute, Marjorie, <laughs> I, I say leaping to Elon's defence as I am as I'm wont to do. Of course, um, of course. He opens by saying I would like to apologise for my misunderstanding of his situation. That is not apologising 
apologizing for a misunderstanding takes no responsibility, and it's not apologizing to, uh, you know, it's not apologizing to Hallie. It's apo- I mean, it's apologizing, you know, for it doesn't apologize for any of the insults. It just apologizes for the fact that his people had misinformed him, which is, you know, a thing that uh, politicians and celebrities often do. Uh, it has nothing to do with being personally accountable. Yeah, and you say that one of the things that is most difficult is that thing of specifying what you've done wrong. And you cite in the book Mark Wahlberg as a as an example, because Mark Wahlberg is often forgotten, was involved in a an egregiously violent assault when he was a teenager, and he apologised for it sub- subsequently, saying, in 1988, I assaulted two Vietnamese men over a case of beer. Racist slurs and language were used during these encounters and people <laughs> were seriously hurt. That's his actual apology. Yes. There's a, you know, once you get into the world of passive voice uh, sentence structure, um, there's an academic whose name I'm, who is slipping my mind right now who talks about when she teaches writing to students. She says, if you could put the word by zombies into your sentence, that's when you're using the passive voice. So, uh, you know, racist words were used by, by whom, zombies. Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> by zombies. Um, so, uh, and also that was not, incidentally, that was not his only uh, racist, uh, violent act. He also threw rocks at a bunch of black school children. So that one also gets forgotten. Um, whenever anybody in America talks to me about cancel culture, I always sort of have to laugh thinking about Mark Wahlberg, who has gotten more chances than any human being in history. And we just keep forgetting that he did these terrible things. And he actually tried to get that expunged from the the record. And that didn't work, fortunately. But, uh, yeah, I don't really believe that cancellation is, much of, is as much of a thing as the American right would like to say it is. And there are those, like Boris Johnson, who seem to have managed to make careers out of apologising on a fairly regular basis and, and <laughs> doing it in a terrible way. We have, we have a tip of one Boris Johnson apology here. When I went into that garden just after six on the 20th of May to thank groups of staff before going back into my office 25 minutes later to continue working, I believed implicitly that this was a work event. But Mr Speaker, with hindsight, I should have sent everyone back inside. I should have found some other way to thank them. And I should have recognised that even if it could be said technically to fall within the guidance, There would be millions and millions of people who simply would not see it that way. And to them and to this House, I offer my heartfelt apologies. So there you go, Marjorie. He was just trying to thank people. It was technically within the guidelines and a lot of people... Such a giver. (laughs) Such a kind, kind man. Well, this goes to the other thing that you say is a critical thing, which is the if you were offended by it, because at the heart of this apology is millions of people misinterpreted how wonderful Boris Johnson is. That's usually a critical failure, according to your book, that if part. Yes. Sorry if, sorry but, sorry you felt that way. Um, You know, it was regrettable. There are all kinds of words that are very clear cues that this is not a good apology. Also, you know, so much of that, you know, purported apology was about his intentions and how they were perceived. And what we like to say is intent matters far less than impact. It doesn't matter what you meant. 
if it was clear to everyone else what happened or what they saw. Although you have a thing that I thought was interesting in that context where you say that when apologizing, you shouldn't express the impact on the protagonist, the one at fault. So let's say I have wronged you. I shouldn't say to you, I feel terrible about this. I feel very guilty. I mean, you can say that if that's part of, uh, if that's one little sentence in a good apology that puts the other person's feelings front and center. When you make it all about you, oh, I feel terrible. Uh, one of my neighbors rang my doorbell at four in the morning and just leaned on it drunk uh, because she'd lost her key and came in sort of spewing apologies like, oh, I should die in a fire. I'm so sorry. And it's like, shut up. You know, it's not about you. Um, and when you put the other person in a position of having to say, oh, no, no, it's okay. What you did wasn't so bad. Um, that is not putting the other person, that's not giving the other person's feelings primacy, right? So how do you then square people who seem to be able to do good apologies in one setting and bad in another? Because you cite um, uh, Bill Clinton as a case in point. Yeah. And Bill Clinton is is in, in both ends of the spectrum. We have a clip of Bill Clinton doing his, his world-famous terrible apology. It is important to me that everybody who has been hurt know that the sorrow I feel is genuine. But I believe that to be forgiven more than sorrow is required. At least two more things. First, genuine repentance, a determination to change and to repair breaches of my own making. So that's him making it about him, isn't that right? It is. And yet, you know, perhaps this is the power of Bill Clinton. Um, you know, I'm listening to him talk about what repentance and repair are, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's what it's about. And then I'm like, wait, but that he's not apologizing. <laughs> you know, he, he, he's got the theory down perfectly. But there again... The practice is the problem. <laughs> you, you cite a, a, another apology that he gave. Now, this time it wasn't on behalf of himself, it was on behalf of the American government, and it was for the uh, Tuskegee um, syphilis study, which is a horrendous thing that was done involving a group of black men in, in the um, 1970s, where they were tracked through their um, syphilis diagnoses and through suffering through and ultimately dying from the disease when the government knew it could have an intervened with antibiotics and cured many of them or at least treated them and in increased their, their life. And, yeah, he came, and actively lied to them. Indeed, and lied to their, their family thereafter. And he came out and he said, the United States government did something that was wrong, deeply, profoundly, morally wrong. It was an outrage to our commitment to integrity and equality for all of our citizens. To the survivors, to the wives and to the family members, the children and the grandchildren, I say what you know, no power on earth can give you back the lives lost, the pain suffered, the years of internal torment and anguish. How can he know to do it like that and then do it the other way? Uh, I can tell you why. Because uh, we, all, we all recognize terrible apologies when we hear them, and yet when we're the ones who have to apologize, we often do a terrible job ourselves. And that's because of the ways our brains are designed. With cognitive, you know, we are designed to see ourselves as the hero of our own story. And in when Bill Clinton has to apologize for what he himself did, he trips up. When he's apologizing for something that happened in history, that he, can, that he has the distance to recognize was terrible and wrong. And to be fair, he also had the courage to do it, since many Americans do not want to apologize for the darkest parts of our history. Indeed, America has never 
The government has never apologized for slavery. I don't see that ever happening. But this was, you know, there was a reason why many black Americans called Bill Clinton the first black president, because he really did have a lot of understanding and sympathy for um, the black experience in America. So the way he deals with this cognitive dissonance, the way we all deal with the cognitive dissonance of, I know I'm a good person, but I did a bad thing, is you turn it around in your head and you make it, well, what I did wasn't really that bad. And there were all kinds of extenuating circumstances. He really, he has never apologized to Monica Lewinsky and he never will because he has made it in his head that he's already done it. He sort of did it. It was her fault too. Um, And yet, you know, we're all complicated people. I feel like this book, um, we have to view apologies and each other with nuance. I can tell you exactly how to apologize in the best possible way, and you might not be able to do it, but the person who you do it to might understand that you're that you mean well and value the relationship more than the perfection of the apology. And that's totally fine. Although you also cite the pressures that some both governments or larger entities might be under when it comes to apologies. And interestingly, some of the research is counterintuitive. You'd have a sense that, particularly in a medical setting, that if you apologize, you are likely to incur liability and you're likely to cause legal problems. You say in the book that in many cases the opposite is the case. There was a giant study by the Harvard Hospital System looking at the impact on, of good apologies on patients and their feelings and their vindictiveness and lawsuits. And guess what? When people get a good apology, they, are, they feel less vindictive and they are less likely to sue. And if something does go to a jury trial, a good apology makes jury verdicts smaller. Um, there are other countries in which apologies are part and parcel of the medical system where you sit down with the family and you say, here's what happened. Here's why it won't happen again. We are really sorry. And this is what we're doing to make changes. And that's really what people want is they want to know that their suffering was for no reason. And when people give weaselly apologies, whether it's in the medical field or just me talking to you, um, you know, after I, took your yogurt out of the fridge that clearly had your name on it, and I ate it anyway. Um, When people are bad apologizers and don't take responsibility, that's when you get mad, and that's when you, you know, put something else in the yogurt container for the next time I do that. (laughs) And the the Harvard study resulted in, they had a four-step thing. They said, number one, tell the patient and family what happened. Number two, take responsibility. Number three, apologize. And number four, explain what will be done to prevent future recurrence of whatever was the failing. Does that dovetail with your methodology? It does. We made ours a little more elaborate um, because ours is more aimed at individuals than at institutions. And you don't have to apologize. You know, you don't have to do all six and a half steps. If it's something like just stepping on someone's foot, you just say, I'm sorry, and then you move on. Um, But the six and a half steps covers everything from a small child chasing, you know, another child with a booger on their finger and threatening to smear it on them to a politician, you know, threatening for, you know, apologizing for having a giant party during COVID lockdown to, um, I don't know, a spouse who said that they would unload the dishwasher and didn't. You're interested about the children as well, because you, you say that children are, children, even when they're very small, when they're sort of three and four, when they're toddlers, they are much more willing to accept a real apology than a half-assed one. 
correct. Anton, you are the interviewer who has read this book the most carefully, and I adore you for it. Um, So, yes, uh, children are acutely aware of fairness. And uh, we, you know, uh, sadly, as we grow up, we come to accept unfairness as sort of part and parcel of how the world works. Um, But kids are willing to share. Kids are willing to take less if it means somebody else, their friend gets to have some, too. Um, and we can harness that power and that desire for fairness to teach kids to apologize well. I mean, when they're little, they just don't understand sometimes that they've caused hurt. And that's our job as a parent to say, oh, you know, this, look at how sad they are. If you had those bite marks in your hand, you would be really sad too. What do we do about this? How do we fix it? How do we make the other person feel better? And you don't yell at a kid after they've apologized because apologizing is a brave, courageous act. And you can say, hey, a lot of adults suck at this, and you uh, did better at this than many adults do. Now, wh- how do we get on with the act of repair here? The act of repair itself is interesting, though, because a- another one of the things that you suggest in your process is you don't request, f- you request forgiveness, but not necessarily redemption. You don't demand of the person that they say, okay, we'll put it all behind us. Yes. Uh, we have a, a series of bad apology bingo cards in the book of phrases that are absolutely do not belong in an apology. And saying let's move on is one of those phrases. Uh, looking ahead, all of that. Only the person who you wronged gets to decide when it's time to look ahead. We also don't think you should say, do you forgive me? Because forgiveness is a gift to be granted. And it's rude to ask for a gift. Everybody knows you don't get to demand a gift. You can say, I hope you'll be able to forgive me, or I hope one day to be able to earn your trust back. But don't say right on, don't put the person on the spot by saying, uh, please forgive me. So to, to conclude then, just so if, if we're going to, to um, set about, uh, this is almost like the, the 12 steps of AA, if we're, if we're going to do a, a, <laughs> a moral inventory and start making calls this afternoon, remind us then of the perfect <laughs> approach. Uh, the perfect approach is to say the words, I'm sorry, or I apologize, not I regret, which is another thing that's about your, I'm, I'm regretful. That's about my feelings. Sorry is about your feelings, the person I hurt. Number two is say the thing that you did. You got to name it. Number three is show that you understand why you caused hurt. Number four is only explain as much as you need to. Do not make excuses. This is the one that's the hardest for me. Number five is say why this isn't going to happen again. What are you doing to make sure that you never sin this way again? Number six is make an offer of repair or repentance. And six and a half is just let that other person have their say. Let them yell at you and just listen. The book is called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. It's by Susan McCarthy and Marjorie Ingle. And also, if you want to see the the website, you can log on to Sorry Watch for detailed analysis of real-time apologies. Marjorie, great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Anton. Take care. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.